Good morning. How's everyone doing today? Good. Good, yeah. Weather's getting colder, season's starting to change, and you got the people that you know usually immediately if they're either winter people or summer people. And I won't judge you in any way, but we know that winter people are better people. Just kidding. But um, man, I just want to say, I truly do love this church. I really love coming to this place and worshiping. Um, being a pastor for a number of years, um, there was good years, there was bad years, and there was times when leaving church, I would leave with more anxiety than peace. And I'm very grateful to find a church here at Verizon under Pastor Alex and Darby where I don't leave this place with anxiety. I'll leave this place with peace and hope. And uh, I appreciate their friendship. I appreciate the way they treat my kids. Really means a lot. And uh, happy birthday, Alex. We love you, man. We're glad that you're here. We're glad that the church is here. And happy birthday to my wife, Marissa. And uh, it's pretty cool that my two favorite people share the same birthday. So um, it makes it easy to remember. It does make it easy to remember. Yes, 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 it does. But uh, happy birthday, guys. We love you guys so much. And um, it's cool to get to do this together. So uh, we have been doing a series called Becoming People of Love. And Alex gave me the wonderful and difficult task to preach about parenthood and becoming parents of love. And I just want to say, this has probably been one of like, the hardest messages to write because I think family can be really triggering sometimes. And I think it can be really complicated sometimes. And I think we sometimes get our perception of God a little fuzzy based on our experience with our family. And it could be really challenging or it could be really encouraging. And so I wanted to approach this with a, from a place where I do not have all the answers. This is not like seven steps to becoming a better parent or becoming a better like child. This is just some observations that I have and really just sharing from one story of the Bible from Jesus. Because I think when it comes to being a parent of love, I think a good place to start is what Jesus' perspective on what a good parent was. But before that, you know, the title of this message is called Kinder Than Necessary. And being this holiday season, I think when we think of like being kinder than necessary, getting close to Christmas, it's always like getting that perfect gift, right? Whether it's a birthday or a holiday, you know, getting that perfect gift can sometimes be um, like the mile marker of like, oh, they really care, they got me this perfect gift. So I'm going to go through the decades of the Christmas gift. And we're starting in the 60s. And in the 60s, the Christmas toy to get was the Easy Bake Oven. I don't know if any of y'all had any of those. Alright, I think it was like 200 watt bulbs. And you made cookies that probably tasted like rubber. I don't know. But it was cool. Um, one of my friend Mary Ann had it. I thought it was the coolest thing. Um, but Easy Bake Oven was pretty awesome. Then in the 70s, one of the most popular Christmas toys was the Pet Rock. No lie, this was like a real legit thing. It sold 1.5 million rocks. The, the cost of the rock in the 70s was $4. Based on inflation today, it would be around $50. So can you imagine spending $50 on that? But they did, because that was like the gift to get. And then in the 80s, you started to get to my generation. 
and you know, the big gift was the Nintendo, and the really interesting thing about Nintendo was when this came out, video games were not um, a profitable business. They were uh, going bankrupt, the Atari was going bankrupt, so the fact that Nintendo released this was a big risk, and it truly, truly paid off and started a whole new generation of video gamers. And then in the 90s, you guys could probably guess what toy I'm going to talk about in the 90s. I think this is triggering enough as it is. Tickle Me Elmo. Alright, why? Why was this such a big gift? I don't understand. It's up there with the pet rock. Alright, probably cost just as much. And the crazy thing was, this gift was so desired that two women got arrested in Chicago in 1996 over this toy. So, just to kind of put some things into perspective. And then, in the 2000s, this is one of the most popular Christmas gifts, the Razor Scooter, which um, was expensive because, not just for the cost of the scooter, but because of the hospital bills that parents had to pay for kids trying to do backflips and tricks off steps. I mean, this thing was crazily dangerous, but I think that was like, the cool factor was that it was Dangerous and kind of cool, and I just remember kids always had these around. And then as we get closer to the 2010s, and we go into the tablet generation, where everyone <laughs> seems to have a tablet, whether it's an iPad or an Amazon Fire. And Keen, my son's giving me a thumbs up because I don't know where he would be without his tablet or Wi-Fi. And so I said all this because. These gifts, you know, these were like the it gifts to have. And if you were a parent, you got this gift, and you felt like you succeeded in some way or another or better. Either way, you failed the rest of the year. If you got this gift, you were a winner. And just to see that joy in the kids' eyes was enough, even if, like, you just, like, failed so much. Getting that gift was enough. Um, but this is the interesting thing. According to a recent survey, 73% of kids want to bond with their parents, not have the latest or gifts. 73% of kids want to bond with their parents. It's not something you put a price tag on. It's not something you can find in a store. It's something that close to three quarters of kids want. Now, let's put this on the flip side. What about parents? What do parents want? 70% of parents want to spend quality time with their kids. Isn't that interesting? I don't know where that 3% of parents are. I don't know, maybe like 3% of parents. I don't even think that please them. Alright, but just think about that for a second. What kids want and what parents want is to be together. Presence is greater than presence. Let me say it again. You know, kids respond more to your presence than your actual presence that you give them. And sometimes we can get so caught up on material things and the it thing when I think when it comes to families, it's just being together is enough. And I like how Henry Nguyen kind of puts this in perspective when applying it to God, because I think sometimes, you know, when we approach our relationship with God, there is that lens through how we approach God through being a parent. And he says this God is not neither a policeman or a Santa Claus. God does not send us to heaven or hell depending on how often we obey or disobey. And I want to pause right there for a second because I think sometimes as parents we can fall into those two traps. It's like you're like the disciplinarian, my job is to get you doing wrong so that you can do right. And then there's the flip side where it's like, I just want to give you everything you want because then you like me and love me. You know, and you kind of go back and forth between like Santa Claus or policemen. It's neither of those things in our relationship to our parents or in our relationship to God. 
God is not out to get you. And God doesn't love you based on the good things in your life. God is love and only love. In God there is no hatred, desire for revenge, or pleasure in seeing us punished. God wants to forgive, heal, restore, show us endless mercy, and see us come home. Presence is what matters. And in fact, the Trinity, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is the, rep is the representation of family and community. Alright, that's why when we, you know, I, I think that's why it's so hard sometimes when we don't find that community and we don't find those relationships and when things are broken, it is so difficult because it really goes against our nature. We are designed for community. That's how God made us. He wants us to be together. And in thinking about, you know, how to talk about being people of love, being a parent of love, uh, I'm a fifth grade teacher, fifth and sixth grade teacher, and this year we started off the year in our Bible class talking about the parables of Jesus. And I think one of the most significant parables of Jesus is the one that has many names. It's been called the parable of the lost son. It's been called the parable of the prodigal son. It's called the parable of the forgiving father. And I've spoken about this verse and this parable many, many times because I love it, because there's something about it that every time I read it, I find something new, and because I identify with the brother that ran away, that always had to learn the hard way. So any of you out there who are the ones that have to learn the hard way, and that's how you learn, I love you, all right? You're not, like, we're in this together. But I want to really take a look at this parable from the perspective of the father. Because oftentimes I immediately go to the son that ran away. But I really want to really take some time to really focus on the Father. We're going to break this, this verse, this parable down, verse by verse. All right? This is found in Luke 15, 11 to 31, the parable of the forgiving Father. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told him this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. This is a significant statement that the son said, I want to share I want my share of your estate before you die. All right? Basically, the only way in that culture that a son could get the estate, can get what the father has in terms of money and resources, is either two things. Either the father had to retire, or the father had to die. Basically, what the son was saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. And not only is that just egregious as a son to say that to the father, in that culture... He could have been stoned for saying that because it goes against the, the law of dishonoring your father and mother. Saying something like that, doing something like that, wanting something like that was a grave sin in that culture. And so this was a significantly horrible thing to do for a son to say to his father. And the father agreed. No fight. No trying to change the son's mind. The father agreed. Divided wealth between the sons goes on to say this. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. 
but no one gave him anything. This is also very, very significant because the thing in this verse that is egregious is not the fact that the son spent all his money. Not the fact that the son spent his money on wild living as we learned later on in this parable spoiler on like prostitutes and things of that nature. In that culture, it was the most egregious thing that would bring dishonor to not just this young man, but to the father as well, is being in the trough with the pigs, feeding on the food that the pigs eat. Because in that culture, pigs were unclean. You don't eat from the pig, you don't touch from the pig. And there was almost like these like two dynamics in like what to do and what not to do. Yeah, there was like moral sins, but then there was like sins of like the law, where like there's these certain procedures, these certain rituals, and you couldn't touch certain things, you could you had to like follow these ritualistic like ways of living that kind of showed whether or not you were like holy or not. I mean, there's not to be any like legalistic things like that in our culture today. But you know what I mean, these certain traditions that we hold to. And if you break traditions, you know, God forbid. And so not only was he feeding with the pigs, touching the pigs, I mean this was like the lowest of the low that a person can go in that day. They would be more upset with this stuff eating with pigs and touching the pigs than the wild living and the wild spending. That was more egregious in that time. Just to give you a heads up. So this son just goes to, like, as far as he can go of doing what is wrong. In that culture, this is considered, like, the worst thing that you can do. And another interesting thing about this parable is that he persuaded the local farmer to hire him. Basically, what he is doing here is becoming a slave and giving up his rights. And one of the ways that you would do that is that you would take off your sandals. And the way you take off your sandals, that would signify that you were a slave and you wouldn't run away. So one of the ways that this man would persuade the farmer was to give up his sandals. And we're going to come back to the sandals later on with this. But keep that in mind, because he was doing anything he could just to survive and even go down to the dregs of society and be a scoundrel in that in that day and age what was considered good or honorable it was the opposite next verse goes on to say this when he finally came to his senses he said to himself at home even the hired servants have enough food to spare and here i am dying of hunger i will go home to my father and say father i've sinned against both heaven and against you i am no longer worthy being called yourself, please take me on as a hired servant. I want to just take a moment to look at these two verses because they're kind of similar and they're kind of different. When you go back, it says that he was a hired servant and he was starving. But then how did his father treat the people that were working with him? Good. They were fed. You know, I think sometimes we come to people of love is how we treat those who do nothing for us. One of the significant reasons of why this son decided to go back home was not how much the father loved him. That was part of it. But how much his father loved everyone and treated everyone with dignity and kindness and love. The servants of the day, that would probably be like minimum wage workers working in the fields, they weren't like servants. How we would think of servants in American culture they would be like minimum wage workers, working in the fields, working the lands. They were paid well, and they had enough 
food to spare. He didn't give them minimum wage. He gave them a living wage. And the son realized this. And it makes me think, you know, becoming a person of love, becoming a parent of love, it goes so much more beyond just how we treat our family. How do we treat those others? How do we treat others? When we're in the checkout line, when we're getting frustrated, how do we treat people at work? How do we treat people when no one is looking? How do we treat people when we post things online? You know, we can go down the list. You know, how do we treat people when no one's looking? It, the sun was looking. And it just, it, it makes me think of one of the things I really love about my father. And my father did a really, really good job trying to give me all those things that I wanted. There was time, there were some Christmases where I couldn't get what I wanted, but my dad did a lot to try and do to get me those things. Um, and those were nice. It was nice to have like video games and, and all those kind of stuff. But what I really loved the most was, and I started picking this up on later in life, when I was in college. Because like when I was in high school, it was either like, I just didn't have maturity to realize what my parents were trying to do. Sometimes I'd get so hung up on the things that, that they didn't do that I think they should do. But I really started to, to get this mindset of like, wow, like I really need to appreciate my parents more. Um, I was in college when I was going through the admissions process and talking to the registrar. They're like, your dad's so nice. Like, I really enjoyed talking with your dad. And I was like, really? You know, I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, and then, like, it started me to, like, think about the little things that my dad would do that I didn't really notice at the time, but when I thought back, were kind of big deals. Like, when people would miss, like, when my neighbors would miss the bus, he would drive them to work. Like, little things like my neighbor, Rick, who was a huge Pittsburgh Steelers fan, and um, for some reason, I think his TV was out, and the Eagles were playing the Steelers that day. And he invited him over, and we watched the game together. And Eagles won that day, by the way. Um, it's always great when the Eagles beat Steelers. Um, but I, I, I watched a lot of games with my dad. Um, I watched the Eagles lose a lot of games with my dad. But that's one of the games that stick out the most to me, because when Rick came over, and I was just like, I mean, it just, it's just one of those things that you can't put a price tag on. You know, so it's little things that are, are simple, but significant. And you might be thinking, like, well, I didn't have a dad like that, I have a mom like that. Okay. Can you be a person like that? There's little things that you can do for others that may seem insignificant or of most significance. Um, Malcolm Forbes, Forbes Magazine, said this. said, you can easily judge the character of a man by how he treats those who can do nothing for him. You know, that, I mean, think about it. You know, I'm an Enneagram 3, and I'm very driven, and I, like, want to, like, go to the top. I want to be the best I can in my career, and so, like, I follow the, I struggle with this tension of, like, am I doing this because it's the right thing to do, or am I doing this because I want to get ahead of my career, right? I mean, think about it. How we treat others. Are we doing this because I want something from someone, or I'm doing this because it's just the right and loving thing to do, you know, in our jobs, in our relationships? with our kids? Are we motivated by what we get or are we motivated by what we give? And it's really simple and it's really subtle 
but it's something that I struggle with because I really want to be authentic in how I live and how I love and how I work. And I struggle with this because sometimes, because sometimes we can like keep track, right? Well, I did this at work. I did that at work. No one wanted to do that. I did it, right? And then it's like you're kind of waiting for like, you know, you plant good seeds, you get good fruit, right? Not always, right? I mean, if you're always doing something because of what you can get back, is that really a person of love or is that person who just wants to get ahead? And I want to encourage you, you know, sometimes the payback isn't in this lifetime. Sometimes we won't know or understand the things that we do in this life until the next life. And, you know, um, just to, you know, recently have one of those like weak moments on Facebook. You know, sometimes where it's just like having like one of those days, you just like want to vent and just put something out there. And I'm like a verbal processor. I'm like a person that processes the community. You know, I know some of you introverts out there, it's like you just kind of like take it all in. Well, I'm not that kind of person, all right? It's like sometimes I let people know my business too much, all right? Um, and so on Facebook, I was just had one of those days where I was just struggling. I was like, hey, it's been hard to transition out of ministry into teaching. It's been hard to be in your 40s and starting over a new career when you see people your age making twice, twice what you make. And it's hard. And it makes me like realize, like, could I have done something different? Why can I have done this? Why can I have done that? And you start like going back in hindsight and you start like judging those things that you've done. And it's like, oh, it's all a waste because like, man, look at my life now. And it's like tough and it's hard and da 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 da. You know, it's having like one of those pity parties. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? You know, if, if, if Facebook isn't your place to pity party, maybe you have that certain someone that you just like always vent to or go to when you're upset. You know, that first call, you know what I'm talking about? You know that person, right? Where it's like you can just vent and it's nice. And so I put this out there about how ministry is hard and how starting over as a teacher is hard and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, just having like one of those moments. And uh, I got a message on Facebook from one of my students who was in youth ministry uh, years ago, like over 10 years ago. And he was sharing, he's like, he's like, don't ever doubt what you were doing was the right thing. He said, I don't know if you remember this or not, back when we were at a national youth convention, that night when you talked to me at the top of the hotel, that night, he's like, I wanted to take my life. And I was like, oh, I never knew that. And he's like, that conversation changed everything. Never knew that. He never said it. They had no clue. And, you know, sometimes in life, you don't get to see those things. I don't know if that was like one of those, like, God things where God's like, hey, you're doing better than you think you are. I think that's why it's important to, like, encourage people. Um, because you never know what that encouraging word can do for them. Him just saying that made really put everything in perspective for me. And now he's married, has kids, and is doing great. And it's just like... Just that one word, that one encouraging thought. If I had to choose having a better paying job, having this young man here on earth, I'll take I'll take it any day. Any day. And God's the same way. I think God looks at us the same way. He cares about us so much, so much that we even realize. And sometimes we get a glimpse of that love, and then sometimes we, we, we get we get the full embrace in the life to come. 
And as we go on, we're going to talk about this next part of this verse. So he returned home from his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. This small phrase, he ran to his son. Looking at this phrase from like, you know, our American way of like thinking of things somatically and dramatically, it's like Walmart, like it's almost like a Hallmark movie, you know, the father and the son running to each other with like positive Christian music playing in the background, you know, and it's like, oh, it's awesome, and then like the snow starts to fall, even though it's in the Middle East, but you know, you know, it's, it's for dramatic effect, right, and like running, and it's like they embrace, and it's like, oh, it's like super awesome dramatic moment, yeah, that has nothing to do with this right here, him running to his son was scandalous. In that day, running with your tunic, you are exposing yourself. And so this was in that Middle Eastern culture. Fathers didn't run like this. They didn't. That was a sign of disgrace. And so, you know, when we sing songs like, like Reckless Love and all those kind of things, Scandal of Grace, that's this right here. The father cared so much about his son that he didn't care what people thought of him. He just cared about loving that son. Because here's the thing. Because what this son did was so scandalous, the father didn't want anyone else coming to the son first to say, you can't come back. Do you know what you did? Do you know what you've done? Do you know the shame you brought in this house? The father wanted to be the first one to greet the son because if he wasn't, the son would have left. And we know this because, spoiler alert, later on in this verse, we hear that the oldest son had heard everything that had happened to the son because he volunteered that information. This son of rumors squandered his welcome prostitutes. How did he know that? The father never said that to him. Because word spread. And so we serve a God who wants to meet us first. He wants to run to you first. Because he doesn't want all those other voices to be the first one that you hear. To distract you, to dissuade you from coming home. He ran to his son embraced him, and kissed him. I love that picture. Because sometimes we can get caught up in how things look, right? What would it look if I forgive my, Like, what, what would it look like? I mean, we play these weird games sometimes of, like, culture expectations and what does it look like and, 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 and all this kind of stuff. And God doesn't care how it looks like when it comes to loving someone. That person is worth way more than perception. You are worth way more than the perception of others. This son was saw as the lowest of the lows, a scoundrel, not worth anything. And we serve a God that's, that is willing to love us recklessly in a scandalous way, risking his reputation. You know, it, it's, it, it's mind-boggling, the love of God. And this is why I keep coming back to the faith. You know, when things get hard, when things get difficult, and I'm like, man, is it worth it to be a Christian? Like, God, like, I, like sometimes things are so mad up all the time. But what, what brings me back is the, is, is the love, the love of Christ, the love of God. When things don't make sense, his, his, his love is what always draws me back. And I love this next part. But his father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest room in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger, and sandals for his feet, kill the calf, leave it in. We have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. 
For this son of mine was dead, and now returned to life. He was lost, but now it's found. So the party begins. I love that when we mess up and we come home, God brings us a party. God has a God who wants to celebrate, not like just <laughs> pour on the shame and the guilt. That doesn't, that's not the type of God we serve. We don't serve a God of shame and guilt. We serve a God who, when you come home, wants to throw you a party. And there's a couple of things going on in this verse. The three things the road. This is significant because this calls back to Abraham and to, to, um, to Adam and Eve when they sinned. What was the first thing that God did when they sinned? Clothed them. Alright, so this is a call back to that. We serve a God who wants to cover your sin. Not expose it to everyone. He wants to cover it. I love that picture. When, when people were coming, when the soldiers were coming to arrest Jesus, and Peter famously cuts off the soldier's ear, he doesn't cut off the soldier's ear because Peter is like a skilled warrior. No, he cut off the ear because he was going for the head and he missed. Okay? And what does Jesus do? He heals the person's ear. Not because he loves a soldier. He does. That's part of it. But he heals the ear to remove the evidence of Peter. Because if he didn't remove the evidence and heal the ear, Peter would become arrested and get killed. And the church would never be able to have the explosion that had in the early church if Peter wasn't part of it. We see like God that colors our sin. And then sandals on the feet. Uh, well, before I get sandals on the feet, ring on his finger. I love this because that, that, that ring on the finger was a sign of identity. Listen, even though you wanted me dead, even though you wanted nothing to do with me, you're still part of this family. And no matter what you do, no matter what you've done, you'll always be my son. And God looks at you and says, no matter what you've done, no matter what you do, you'll always be my son. You'll always be my daughter. There's nothing that you can do that can separate you from the love of Christ. There is no sin that you have done that is bigger than the cross. And when you make your sin bigger than the cross, that is pride. Because Jesus has died for everything that you have done and will do. I love this next part. Samuel's on his feet. This is restoring his value. Because, because slaves, a sign of a slave was to take off your shoes. Because then you couldn't run away. So the fact that he put sandals on his feet is saying, you have value. Remember, he wanted to just come back and be a servant? But he's like, no, 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 no. No, when you come back to me, you're not going to be how you were, and you're not going to get what you deserve. You're going to get more than that. I love that when we ask forgiveness, and we serve a God that doesn't give us what we deserve, he gives us more than we can ever think or imagine. I love that we serve a God who wants to throw a party for us, even when we mess up. I love this quote from Mary Kay. Mary Kay after Mary Kay Cosmetics. There are two things people want more than sex and money. Recognition and praise. Alright, let me just pause and think about that for a second. Alright, those are things that our society... I mean, when you just look at advertisements, what drives advertisements? Status and sex, right? What do people really want? Recognition and praise. Come on, think about it. People don't leave jobs because of their job. People leave jobs because of bosses. Bottom line, a lot of times people really do like what they're doing, but it's really hard because they don't like what they're doing it for. And just a little bit of recognition, just a little bit of appreciation could go a whole long way. A little bit of praise, you know? Like, we, I, it, 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 
We're worried what you want repeated. You know, I think as a parent, I think this is something that like I really try to think of the most is, you know, I can get really hard on my kids sometimes, but if I want to see them do better, it's like, man, I gotta I gotta celebrate more wins than losses. We gotta celebrate more as parents and as Christians. We don't do enough job to celebrate enough. You know, I think we need to throw more parties as people of love, right? Seriously. Sometimes, I mean, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why churches are so dead. They don't celebrate because the standard is so high. And no one else can, no one can really live to that standard. And if they are within that standard, they're probably faking it. Alright? You know, uh, this week, we had a big project for a book we've been reading called Wonder in, in my class. And one of the girls in my class um, did two parts of um, did two parts of it and didn't do the third part. And she didn't have the part with her. And she was like, oh, my friend emailed it to me and it got deleted. And I was like, are you sure? And there's another girl. She was like, oh, let's go check your phone. Let's go see if you can find the deleted files. There was no deleted files, right? And I could tell, like, she was kind of giving that, like, she was, like, really trying to, like, stick, stick to the script, right? And she's like, really? Like, I can't find these things anywhere. And she's like, it, it was there. And, you know, we go back and forth. And so, like, later on in the day, I, like, pulled her aside. I was like, was there really any files? And she was, like, sticking the script. She's like, yeah, you know, it's like, you know, technology. You just never know what can happen sometimes. And I'm like... Yeah, technology is really funny, and I was like, I'll believe you, but is this, is this, is this what's happened? Because if it is, I'll believe you, but if it's not, that's okay, you can tell me the truth. And she was like, looking all around, looking all around, I was like, I'd rather you tell me the truth, and then say something happened with it. I'd rather you tell me. You're not going to get in trouble if you tell me the truth. I'm like, if that's true, that's fine. But if it's not the truth, I'd rather you tell me now, because you won't get in trouble. And she's like, I didn't do it. <laughs> there was no file. And I was like, you know, you did something very brave. I said, I appreciate what you said. I said, I'm not going to mark you late. I said, you can hand it in tomorrow. I said, and you're going to get a dojo point. So if you don't know what dojo points are, they're like little achievements that my students get. If they get a certain amount of dojo points, they get a prize, right? And so then like the more dojo points they get, the bigger the prizes, right? You know, it's like, it, it, it's not bribery. I think it is achievements, right? You know, positive reinforcement. And so I gave her a dojo point for not getting in her homework because she told the truth. And I wanted her to know that this is a safe place where you can tell the truth. And you know she handed it in the next day, and it was awesome. Awesome. And in wonder, she put like a little heart in the word wonder. And I was like, oh! Shout out to the girls, always put like little hearts in the O's and eyes, alright? You know, I'm just like, oh man, I was like, to me, it was like, she got an A. She got an A, she told the truth. Because guys, how hard is it for us to tell the truth sometimes? We fake it till we make it. And I don't know where that phrase comes, but you don't fake it until you make it. You just continue to fake it until you break it. Alright? Or burn out, or whatever. Be honest. Be vulnerable. I think that's one of the most powerful things you can be in a family, is honest and vulnerable. It's hard, it's tough, and we mask it with things and stuff, but it doesn't last and it doesn't work. Be vulnerable, be honest. It may be really hard, but it's worth it. 
one of my friends, Mike Braddock, he's like a motivational speaker. And he's, he, he told me this line back in the day, and I love it. I might have shared it here before. But he said this, and I think it's really powerful when it comes to like families and just becoming people of love. He said this, it's better to be awkward for a moment than uncomfortable forever. Let me say that again. It's better to be awkward for a moment than uncomfortable forever. That awkward truth, that awkward moment, that awkward uncomfortable, like that awkward moment that's hard is way worth it than that weird uncomfortableness that you feel forever. And you know it, right? Because when you don't address something that you should address, or you don't say something that you should say, when you get around that people, when you get around that person, don't you feel a little weird? There's always that like odd tension and it's like you try to mask it, but it, it's still there. It's better to be awkward for a moment than uncomfortable forever. If you need to have an awkward moment with God or with someone that you love or someone that you know, do it. That's being a person of faith. You know, we think like being a person of faith is like leading God for the big stuff. Sometimes it's just being honest and awkward in the small stuff. Because that awkward and that awkward honesty in the small stuff, when it's not addressed, becomes big stuff. Meanwhile, I love it. I love how like Jesus tells a story. Meanwhile, next verse. Our favorite person in this character. The older son was in the field work. And isn't, isn't it true that the older son would be like the do-gooder, right? The one that like follow the rules, you know? It's like, I don't know, it's like birth order, but like, you know, the older sons are always the ones kind of like follow the rules, they're the do-gooders, and he flicks his eyes up. All right, when he returned home and heard the When he returned home, he heard the music dancing in the house. He asked one of his servants, what was going on? Your brother's back, he was told, and your father has killed a fatty cat. You know, the previous verse talks about the fatty cat. How many fatty cats do you think the father had in preparation for the summer turning home? Just a soft All right. We, we are celebrating because of the safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. Begged him. Begged and he replied, all these years, the son said, I've slaved for you. Really? And never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me a young goat or a feast with my friends. Oh, Jesus picks up those sibling tensions so well. Yet this son of yours comes back after spawning your money on prostitutes. You celebrate by killing fat cat. How does, like, how did he know? All right. And you know when someone's really mad when you can't say their name? The son of yours? Not my brother. You know, this son of yours, he seems to like, you know, couples, you know, it's like, you know, your father, you know, da 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 da, you know? Or your, oh man, my boss, you know, what's up, boss? You know, I, I knew one guy who refused to call him, call his boss's name, always called him boss, you know? So you know when you're really mad when you can't say their name? Well, this son of yours. And we see this, too, even in another portion of Scripture when Jesus is talking about the Good Samaritan, where someone's saying, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells us we're the Good Samaritan, and at the end, Jesus says, well, and he's like, well, well who, who was the neighbor? And the guy couldn't say Samaritan. He had to say, the one who showed him kindness. Because in that day, Samaritan was like a person of, of poor reputation. They weren't liked. And how dare Jesus use the story of a person that was thought as the least in society to do the greatest thing in society. 
out there, Jesus. And so when he says, this son of yours, that reeks of resentment. Reeks of resentment. And recent studies have shown one the, the single greatest the single greatest reason why relationships fail, why relationships are broken, why families struggle, is not unforgiveness, it's not lack of trust, one word. Resentment. Resentment. And it's interesting because one of the most famous quotes I've ever heard, you you might have heard this. Unforgiveness is like drinking a poison and waiting for the other person to die. You've heard that, right? But you know the actual quote is resentment. It's not unforgiveness. It's like the Mandela effect. You guys know what the Mandela effect is? Where when you think back on something and you think it's like one way, but it's really a different way. Like my cousin loved chippy peanut butter and you would like eat it by the spoonful in our college dorm. Shout out to people who eat peanut butter by the spoonful. Um, but it's not chippy peanut butter, it's chip. Alright, and so the Mandela effect is when you think it's one thing, but it's not. It's not unforgiveness, it's like you're poison away for the person to die. It's resentment. Resentment. Um, just to kind of further this point um, a little bit. I've got a cup here. And so, I think this cup weighs, what, 8 ounces, 10 ounces of water here. Um, that's the weight of the cup. But the weight of the cup is really insignificant. What really matters is how long I hold this cup. Hold this cup for, for a couple minutes, it's no big deal. I hold it for like an hour, maybe my arm will start to hurt, maybe I kind of feel that tension. I hold it all day, my arms will become numb and become paralyzed. The weight of the cup didn't change, the fact that how long I was holding it changed the weight of the cup. It's the same thing when it comes to the stresses and resentment that we have, either for ourselves or for others. You know, you hold on to that resentment for a little bit, it's no big deal. Hold on to it a little while, it really starts to hurt. Hold on to it all the time, become paralyzed. Hard to even move, become stuck. Really, all you have to do is just put the cup down. Listen, I don't know your story. I don't know what's happened to you, what's been done to you, or things that you're wanting God to do that He hasn't done, and you get frustrated by it. And talking about family can be really triggering on many, many levels. But if there's resentment that you're holding on to, let it go. Be on the outside like the older brother. Join the party. There's so much more waiting for you. Resentment is like drinking a poison wait for the other person to die. And I love how Jesus ends this parable. His father said to him, Look, dear son. He knows. He calls him. Son. You've always stayed with me. And everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. What get lost in this story is this. The younger son lost everything. Yeah, he came back home and he found forgiveness and death for a party. But the older son, because of that resentment, 
didn't even realize that he still had everything that the father wanted to give him. But because of that resentment, he couldn't even see it. Resentment will make you blind to the things that you already have. Let it go. Let that resentment go, and you'd be amazed how those things that you just been missing, maybe you can really see them and appreciate them more than you have before. I don't know what that is for you, but everything I have is yours. You already have what you need. Resentment just makes you blind to what you already have. I'm going to close this message with, with this quote from the book Wonder that we've been reading about. And if you get a chance to read this book, I guarantee it will have a huge impact on you. It's about a boy in fifth grade with facial deformities who overcomes uh, the perceptions and the dislikes of his class and become uh, just a really amazing student. And he does it through kindness. And it's a really good movie, too, with Owen Wilson. I think anything with Owen Wilson is really good, you know? Um, and it's just really one of those like, feel good stories. And I love this quote from the book. And to sum up the book, it's summed up in this quote. And if you do this, if you act just a little kinder than is necessary, someone else, somewhere, someday, may recognize in you, in every single one of you, the face of God. I love that quote. Verse, if you can come. My hope, my prayer for you, is that, and for myself, is that we can be a little more kinder than necessary. Because when we're kind, it's like, oh, I've done enough. Yeah, I was kind. But when you're kinder than necessary, there's that extra step. There's that extra bit. That sometimes that extra bit, that extra mile can make all the difference in the world. The father in this parable was kinder than necessary. That's the God we serve. We serve a God who's kinder than necessary. And when we embody that love, when we embody those characteristics, and when we're kinder than necessary, people not only see us, but they see God. And that's my hope for me. That's my hope for this church. Is that people can see that this church makes a difference in this community. And after the battle is there for the Philadelphia game and the Special Olympics yesterday is awesome. So cool to see those pictures. I mean, that's kinder than necessary. Those little things make such a big deal. My prayer for you this week. Two prayers, actually. Two prayers. So I think there's two things going on here. Some of you have been holding on to that cup for a long time. And it's causing you to miss out things in your life, miss out things in your family. Thank you.